0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This
1: week on meetin 3, we're talking about comfort food as we explore its history, meaning, and different interpretations from around the world.
2: Donburi is just a simple, casual dish, but it's packed with the history. Somebody might have their comfort food be something that they remember eating at their friend's house, but they would never have at their own home. Consuming foods that were eaten then can bring back some of those feelings from, from those times. It's about creating these
1: little breaks and moments during the day where you kind of feel present. Tune in to Meet in Three HRN's weekly food news roundup
2: wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by Mezcal Amaras. Mezcal Amaras is a company built through love—love love for the sun, the land, and the people who work it—and most of all, love for Mexico and its sacred plant, the agave. Now, strap yourselves in for another episode of Agave Road Trip. <laughs> I'm Lou Bank. I am Chala Perivan, And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today, we are going to help them better understand the difference between tequila and mezcal. Yes, which in my way of
1: understanding this, this is the difference between a world that was created with people like you, with your mindset, Lou... Or a world that was created by people like me with my mindset. What's my mindset, Java? You're the tequila mindset, Lou. You want something (laughs) smooth that makes a bunch of money, that it's in the lower
2: ABB context, that it's going to get you wasted. If I wanted something smooth... What was the second part? Smooth? That makes a lot of yes. money. That's right. I wouldn't be hanging out with you, Chava. That's true. That, that, that's actually <laughs> accurate. But uh, but,
1: uh, like, but I I think I do have a point. And we'll get into all the finicky details and technicalities about this. But I think it's extremely important to understand that tequila was created in a world that was very different to us. Well, yeah, yeah. In terms of the interest of the consumer public... In in the, in what they were drinking or what they're eating, right? Well, hang on a second. Are you are you pulling this conversation back into like the 1700s now? No, 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 no. I'm I'm saying this about because we'll get into this. But the basic difference between mezcal and tequila is that they 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 have to comply to different rules, to different denomination of origins. Right. There I, are different I, bodies that certify the different spirits. They play with, in, in different ballparks, uh, well, according to certain regulations that have been established. But I think that these rules have a very specific
2: ethos to each of them that reflect the time hmm. when they were created. Well, uh, that reflect the time when the actual certifying bodies were created. Yes. Or rather the, the regulations by which they are bound were created. Yes, yes, yes. God, those so. are some boring words all in one sentence. <laughs> That is accurate. But so you know, so let's get into what it what those those uh, rules are because I think the rules help to def- not even I think the rules absolutely define what the spirits are. Right. So, give me three rules about tequila.
1: Rule number one: you can only use one species of agave. World famous tequilana blue beber. Rule number two: blue. Did you say blue beber? Blue. <laughs> Blue Weber. Blue, Ber- Blue Weber. Well, I think it's pronounced Weber because it's in German, no? And W,
2: it's pronounced as B in German. Oh, my God. Okay, we're not doing an episode on German <laughs> pronunciation of God, Spanish, Mexican plants. I don't know. Anyway, so Blue Weber, that's number one. What's number two? It can only be done in how many states, Lou? Well, it's only the entirety of one state, Jalisco, and then there are parts of four other states where you can make tequila Guanajuato, Michoacán, Nayarit, and Tamaulipas. Okay. And, well, I would love to crack a joke there about I'm sure
1: there's a long standing tradition of tequila making in Tamaulipas, but I won't because <laughs> I don't want to insult any regulation. Uh, buddy. And third one, it's, and this might be the most controversial of it, and we dedicate a full episode to it, is you can use other ingredients as your base ingredients, as your sugars that are not agave. So you can, if you're making a mixto, and that's the name of this subcategory of tequila, you can use- Although you'll
2: never see mixto on a label anywhere. No, no, you won't. Right. It'll just say tequila.
1: It wouldn't say 100% agave.
2: Right. It'll, it'll say tequila, but if if it just says tequila, chances, and it doesn't say 100% agave, chances are it's a mixto and only, well, at least 51% of the sugar comes from agave and f- up to 49% comes from- God knows what. Maple syrup from Canada. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. so So those are three rules that distinguish what a tequila is. And then- how does that differ from mezcal? Because you know, remember, the oh, the point of this episode is to give gringo bartenders, gringo bartenders, <laughs> the simple answer when somebody comes up to the bar and says, hey, I think I want a mezcal, but how is that different from tequila?
1: So, and this is when it comes down to what I say, that they come from very distinct points of view of understanding the world. And I think the big difference there is a like for diversity, Mescal, you can use any species of agave that you want under the sky, even if it hasn't been discovered, even if it hasn't
2: been defined. <laughs> you can go into a well, mountain well, It has to have been discovered. If you haven't discovered it, you can't uh, you can't roast it in and, Well and you know, know what fermented. I mean, but Lou. That it's, I know it's what you mean. it's not in the books. <laughs> Right. And, you know, and and the point there, I think, is you've got somewhere between two and three hundred varietals that we know of.
1: At least. And imagine once they start really making uh, American agave spirits, that thing is going to go off the roof. (laughs) Anyway, that's not the point of this episode. So second rule about Mezcal can be done in eight states of Mexico, nine states. Can you name them, please,
2: with your beautiful
1: accent, Lou? (laughs)
2: Yes, I certainly can. And and again, it's not in all cases the entirety of the state. It's communities within the states. Um, but the states in which you can make mezcal, parts of the states in which you can make mezcal, are Oaxaca, Zacatecas, Durango, Guanajuato, Guerrero, San Luis Potosí, Tamaulipas, Michoacán, and Puebla. Yes, and I think something
1: really important about these states, because for most people, these are just going to be names, you're talking about some of the states with the highest biodiversity of Mexico. States that have sea, mountain, and everything in between. So you again, you're talking about extremely different terroirs between within each one of these states or communities.
2: You, you are, but but but. But, but, but Uh, there are, what is it, is it 31 states within Mexico? 31 and a capital, so 32 states. There you go. And in how many of those states is there actually a tradition of making spirits from agave? I
1: I will personally claim in every of them at some capacity. Yeah,
2: yeah, I, I get that. And, you know, for me, the salient point here is, I shouldn't say the salient point, a salient point is, you know, so many people will say all tequila is mezcal, but not all mezcal is tequila, and... That used to be true up until 1993, right? In 94, they started setting up this denomination of origin, these rules that define what mezcal is, right? The Mexican government took that word mezcal out of the general population, and owned it, and said, so we now get to say what is and what is not Mescal, which means it can no longer be used as a word that uh, defines a category. It doesn't define a category. It defines an expression, a very specifically defined expression of now an agave spirit. So agave spirit becomes the category. And it's, it's hard, right? Because Earlier to me, you were telling me that the your favorite stuff that you drank was in, where was it? In Mexico State?
1: Yeah, I which is understood to be a suburb state. Like, uh, it, I mean, there's going to be horrible things that I'm going to say, but some people say it's the ugliest state in Mexico. It's just not the nicest view. <laughs> you wouldn't think of it as rural. It's just, you know, a bunch of gray houses and they come up with beautiful agave spirits. Amanso, actually.
2: And those spirits, you... Would call on your day to day basis if you were talking with somebody who wasn't me, you would just call it mezcal. Yes, right?
1: but I think that's why we are so persistent on using the expression agave spirits. You, you right? and I. Because yeah. agave is, yeah, 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 and a lot bunch of people yeah. we know. Yeah. So that's, uh, but again, that might be a whole other discussion. But mezcal, agave spirits is what we use when we don't want to refer to spirit. Or when we want to refer to spirit, that it's not playing with the mezcal or tequila rules. That it's its own
2: thing. Right. But, you know, and, and the reason I bring it up at this juncture is, again, I want this to be an easy thing for a bartender to talk about. And it's not an easy thing. <laughs> the Mexican government the Mexican government, confused things once they took ownership of that word mezcal. So when somebody comes up to a gringo bartender and says, what's the difference between tequila and mezcal? I would strongly encourage that gringo bartender to make life simple for that consumer, and think about mezcal as that defined thing that that spirit that has been certified by the CRM as mezcal. In which in which case, what you just explained those three points, right? Well, that- I didn't say I
1: didn't say the last point though. The last point is that in unlike tequila, in mezcal you do have to use a hundred percent agave. Ah.
2: That is an excellent
1: point. There's not such thing as mixedos.
2: Yes, but but even that becomes confusing. I think to the end yeah. consumer, it's important for the bartender to know, but for the end consumer, like I think you can just break it down very simply. I think you can do this, Chava. Hey, Chava, I'd like I'd like to order a mezcal, but before I do, I want to know what's the difference between tequila and mezcal. So. A tequila,
1: it's something that is extremely specific, comes from one place, done by one agave, and has some dubious rules to it. Mezcal, <laughs> it's the diverse version of that, can be done in a bunch of other places with other techniques, well, not even techniques, but other places, many different agaves, and has to be 100% agave. That's it.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you <laughs> can get into some finer points if this person wants to have the conversation. like. You know, I, I think it's easy to say it's inaccurate, but easy to say. Well, mezcal is handmade tequila is industrially made. Which, while it's it's true in most cases, it's not accurate to all cases. There are some beautiful handmade tequilas, and there are some industrially made mezcal.
1: It's also, I think, the ABB, the alcohol percentage, sometimes also it's a generalization in tequila world you usually are talking about lower tequila uh, lower alcohol level abbs you'll say somewhere between mm-hmm. like 35 to maybe 45 whereas in mezcal country you're talking about at least in the expressions that are more specific or maybe more expensive, you're talking about higher ABBs, no?
2: And yet and yet, the rules say 35% is perfectly fine for Moscow. Yeah, but
1: somehow, thank the Lord, that's not the – well, I wouldn't <laughs> say that, that's the most common case volume-wise. But there's a lot of brands that, that do carry higher ABB expressions.
2: Yeah, absolutely not the case, but it's still the rule. So like once you get beyond the generalities and you get down to the actual rules, really it comes down to where it was made. And in fact, there are three states where there's overlap. You can make both of them but where it was made and then what it was made from, which kind of agave. And, you know, the point that you didn't mention uh, in this conversation, but I've heard you say before, and I think is really, really important, is because tequila is made from one agave, Blue Weber agave, and mezcal is made from any of the hundreds of agaves that exist, I think you can find a broader palette, so to speak, of uh, flavors within mezcal than you can find within tequila, which isn't... To say that one is better than the other, if you happen to really like that, that Blue Weber taste, then tequila is your thing. If you like to try different tastes, then maybe mezcal is your thing.
1: And it's also, I think, and we're running out of time, but I'll say, like, if you really want to <laughs> understand the really minute differences in technology that can change the nagabe tequila it's such a fascinating thing to do because you can try all these tequilas – that have almost all the same conditions, and they just tweaked something a little bit. Whereas in Mezcal... That it's too diverse to really understand what is it that it changed from one expression to the other. So sometimes I love drinking tequila to get really nerdy and understand what's like in flavor,
2: how does certain changes affect the, the final product. And for people who like to get uh, really nerdy, we're going to put a link on our uh, our webpage for this episode to this spreadsheet that we put together that explains literally the differences in rules, not only between Mescal and tequila, but then every other spirit that's made in mexico
1: just to wrap this up if you want to become a member and get a flask of some tequilana, some blue beverage <laughs> tequila that it's made artisanally just go check it at agaveroadtrip.com
2: as well and you might apply for it become a road tripper okay chava i think we're over and out for this issue adios Hang on, road trippers, we're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chat Fest coming up. Mezcal Amaras collaborates with Maestro's Mescalero from Oaxaca and Guerrero in Mexico to create its portfolio using agave Espadín and cupriata honoring centuries of heritage and preserving 500 years of artisanal crafting. Mezcal invites you into a world of smoothness with perfectly balanced flavors and aromas containing rich and unique notes that spark your senses. Each bottle is crafted using sustainable and natural methods conscious of the direct core relation that we have with nature. For this reason, it encapsulates a commitment to pursue a better world, connecting and inspiring through love. And you know what? Each bottle is best enjoyed neat or in cocktails amidst moments that transcend time, connecting meaningfully with others in a celebration of harmony and love, awakening your spirit at any moment when the sun sets. Enjoy Mezcal Amaras. This is Chava and Luz Chat Fest, where we chat you up. It's a podcast within a podcast that has nothing to do with agave, agave spirits, or rural Mexico. Chava, talk to me about your popcorn. Well, uh, I, I'm also obsessed
1: about popcorn, and I think that a lot of it comes from my childhood. Wait, you're obsessed with popcorn? Yes, I am. Well, like, am not obsessed as in I have a very high game of doing popcorn and specialty popcorn that I do in my house. I just eat a lot of popcorn.
2: And you you eat a lot of popcorn and, like, you make it yourself at home?
1: Yes. Uh, and actually, that's where this story comes in. Uh, when we were small, my brother and I, uh, there was this – I guess you have the same in the United States. There were like, matinees where you will pay for three <laughs> – Matinees, movie theater matinees, yep. Yeah, you'll pay, like, for three movies in a row – and uh, nope. uh nope. no. How, how did that nope. work then? Now you're
2: at like three movies in a row? Yeah, so That's you'll have like Rumble Rumble one, two, and three. No, no, no. Like we had matinees where you like, if you, you go early and you only pay a buck 50, you know, and that was, that was when I was like tiny, tiny, tiny. I'm guessing now the matinees, it's cheaper than your normal one, but it's still probably going to be 10 bucks, but three movies in a row. Well, actually it was as many movies as you could consume because it was like
1: permanencia voluntaria. So uh, voluntary (laughs) permanence. (laughs) Wow! So there was just, and the entrance—you'll pay your, like you'll give your ticket, and you can watch all the movies that you wanted. I mean, this was a very derelict uh, movie theater that I'm, I'm talking to you about. It was called yeah. Ermita. It was actually a beautiful building. The bastards just demolished it. Uh, it was protected, like it was protected architecture, and they just demolished it, like I don't know, like three years ago, to make some horrible office buildings. But it was yeah. a beautiful space in very bad shape sometimes you will even see rats running around and whatever but we were absolutely my family was absolutely broken at the time to the point that that was the movie theater we could afford but we could not afford the popcorn going in so what my mother did uh, my brother and I saved our domingos yeah, you know are you familiar with that like on sundays they will give you a little bit of money no. in mexico
2: when you say they, it's the parents. Yeah,
1: mean. yeah, not the people yeah, on the street, yeah. no. Okay. So, like, like your parents... Would yeah, be- we had, like, an allowance when I was growing
2: up. Sure, same thing.
1: Yeah, but this is only on Sundays. So, they only on Sundays they give you a tiny bit of money for you to buy something or save it or whatever. And then you have your allowance as a separate thing. This is, like, like like hmm. luxury money.
2: Like, this is just too... <laughs> yeah, yeah, this Wait, is just too... What's, What's the allowance money for? Well, like (laughs) Like It's all luxury as a kid. I mean, relatively.
1: No, that's like for food at school and, I don't know, like basic needs. Oh, Oh,
2: okay. Okay.
1: So the first thing that my brother and I did with those Domingos was to buy a popcorn pot. Like those old style that you move inside a piece of metal to shake the thing and and you make your own popcorn. So we will do our own popcorn at, at, at home. And then my mother will... Get all that into a big bag of hers and we'll smuggle the popcorn into the cinema. And one time, you know, sometimes popcorn doesn't stop popping up after a while. Like, it's still warm. So it's like, <laughs> it's still popping. Oh, no. So we're smuggling yeah, okay. the popcorn yep. into the cinema. And then suddenly we start hearing in the bag, pop, pop. <laughs> nice yeah but uh but you what you were telling me you have a very crazy specific recipe about making
2: popcorn no well it's not crazy specific and it changes from time to time what i do like to do is I, i i'm a strong believer firm believer in using oil popping in oil i don't like the hot air popping i know it's supposed to be healthier but screw that and there's this company uh what is it called it's oliver oliver It's either Olive or Oliver Farms uh, out of Georgia that makes this green peanut oil that, oh my God, it smells great, it tastes great. So I like using that. And then my friend Tracy at Three Sisters Garden, she like grows these organic uh, varietal popcorns. Um, So I like that. But then there's the topping. And, you know, for me... The, the topping is key like this is and uh, that's when I'm making it here at home when I would go to the movie theater I would use the same topping where I'd, I'd take butter you melt butter and then i dehydrate a uh, uh, green garlic like the first garlic of the season dehydrate green garlic and powder it and you add that to the butter and then you put in a little bit of mustard i know that sounds weird but trust me mustard and you stir it all up and then I'd put it into these uh, uh, little squeeze bottles and bring it with me to the movie theater Oof. because every Every movie becomes something like fifty-eight percent better when you have this butter combination to go on instead of the 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 the, the lame-ass uh, golden topping that they put on at the, the theaters.
1: That sounds absolutely delicious. Like the way I go about this is just you know the Valentina sauce.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got a whole uh, Mexican thing going. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, ju- I just do Valentina
1: and a bunch of lemon and just like some salt on top of it. I didn't even know that like like oil oil popcorn was a thing like i've i, I didn't even think that well I, I thought that was the only way to make it
2: oh 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 oh, oh i got gotcha. you <laughs> like you've never had hot air popper
1: no yeah okay. like
2: yeah don't don't bother there's nothing yeah there. that's like decaf coffee no <laughs> <laughs> there you go Yeah. Related, unrelated, but like I I can remember as a kid going to the movie theater, uh, in Geneva, Illinois, and right next to the movie theater was a Baskin Robbins. And I was like, I had just gone to see star Wars. So I would have been like 10. Oh, no, it had to have been something else. Cause I must've been like eight when this happened. I was a little kid. I was a tiny little kid. Mom takes me into a Baskin Robbins, which is also known as 31 flavors. Cause they've got 31 flavors of ice cream. And she asked me which one I want. And I don't know. It was like 31 flavors. I'm overwhelmed as a little kid by all these flavors. And she suggests to me boysenberry. Do you know boysenberry? No. It's no, it's I'm a not. kind of berry, but it's like it begins with a B poison berry. But my little my little like five six seven eight year old head heard poison berry, and I started crying and I <laughs> ran out of there because I thought she was trying to kill me.
1: Oh, hey, you, you you had a very healthy relationship with your mother. Seems like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and ever since then I've not been able to eat ice cream. Uh, really. No, it's a lie. I eat a ton of ice cream. <laughs> okay. But I was, I, I was traumatized in the moment. I thought, oh my God, she's trying to kill me. This is it. This is the moment. Yeah, well, if my mother had done that, I would just be like, okay, can she get that one? Can
1: I get the vanilla one, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chava, I think we've chatted enough for this episode. Yep. Adiosito.
2: On the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one Doctor Among the Heritage Radio Network Podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip Out.
0: The Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture will be hosting their annual Young Farmers and Cooks Conference virtually this year on December 8th through 10th. Programming will cover topics like mutual aid, regional grain economies, land management practices, and much, much more. Whether you're a farmer, cook, butcher, miller, preservationist, processor, or anyone else in the food chain, this conference is for you. Learn more at stonebarncenter.org slash YFCC.